How was that pie, Arlene? It was delicious. That was rude. That was very <laughs> rude. She made the most beautiful pie the other day, and she did not send me any. Welcome to Barnyard Language. We are Katie and Arlene, an Iowa sheep farmer and an Ontario dairy farmer with six kids, two husbands, and a whole lot of chaos between us. So kick off your boots, reheat your coffee, and join us for some Barnyard Language, honest talk about running farms and raising families. In case your kids haven't already learned all the swears from being in the barn, it might be a good idea to put on some headphones or turn down the volume. While many of our guests are professionals, they aren't your professionals. If you need personalized advice, consult your people. Welcome back to Barnyard Language. Thank you for joining us again this week. We're so excited about all the new listeners we've been having lately and the great feedback. So here's another episode from us. Katie, what's happening on the farm these days? We're going very uh, reality show for our check-in for this episode. Except I don't <laughs> okay. know if you can hear the sheep because I don't have any Wi-Fi signal in the barn. So I'm like halfway across the yard to get internet. But I figured we could just record it and then whatever. Yeah, it's it's real. We live on the edge. You'll be able to hear only if nothing else. I was waiting for my husband to be ready to work sheep. And I think now he is waiting for me to be ready to work sheep because instead (laughs) I'm standing in the middle of the yard recording uh, the intro for the show. Anyway, we got our first calf out of our new bowl and pretty sure it's a heifer and she is super freaking cute there's pictures up in the facebook group why are you Um, pretty sure pretty sure arlene not because because i can't tell the difference but because her mama has serious crazy eyes and that calf (laughs) is fast right i'm not gonna get close enough to find out for sure i'm not going in there uh we're getting ready to work sheep so we can put the rams in this weekend uh you know start the the lamb making process um, I think the guys are going to start picking corn tomorrow, is what I was hearing. It's been beautiful out, but it's getting cold, and it's a good time for uh, picking corn. Um, so what have you been up to, Arlene? Well, I appreciate your dedication to the podcast and uh, recording from your yard instead of your very fancy uh, in-home recording studio. Where it's warm. My <laughs> <laughs> Where it's warm. And I think yeah. everyone can hear the, the sarcasm in my voice for fancy because uh, our recording studios are, uh, are not fancy, but they get the job done. Uh, what's happening here? Soybeans got done as predicted. They happened on Thanksgiving weekend, but um, the guy that we hired to do the soybeans brought lots of helpers with him. So it didn't actually even take us away from Thanksgiving dinner, which was pretty exciting. Got all the beans done in a couple of days and away from the farm and into the, the elevator. So that feels nice to have the crops off the land and, and somewhere where someone might pay them for, pay us for them. So that's exciting. And the kids all went to school for four days in a row this week, which feels like a big Yay! victory. Oh no, actually that's a lie. Um, my daughter went to, went to work at a cow show. So she missed a couple of days of school because she was working at another, another Holstein show, but she could have gone to school. She was healthy enough to work the cow show. So that was exciting. Last night it was in typical post show mode where she could barely string a sentence together and, and fell asleep immediately. So that means she had a good time and she worked hard. So those are both good things. Well, good. And she wasn't at your house. That's so. true. Yeah. So I wasn't responsible <laughs> for making sure she got to school. Yeah. I, yeah. I did forget to report her absence. So somehow I've got it set up that we, both my husband and I get text messages. We get a call to the home phone and we get emails. So there's lots of notification to know that she misses a class or that I forgot to submit that she was absent for the day and it was approved. So yeah, we got the first call from the school nurse about the girl child this week. I mean, the, the first call for this school year, which only started a month ago, um, right, yeah. she ran into a friend and got a pretty good bruise on her cheek. But yeah, you know, I, I couldn't think of a, a nice trip home to, or just an update. N- no, no, just an update. I couldn't think of a nice way to tell the nurse that unless there was blood or like somebody was on fire, I didn't really like. Not that I don't care, right? But, yeah. but uh, she's no got better things day, to do fine. than calling. She's fine, but I appreciated the update. I guess. Anyway, Arlene, I'm gonna go worm yeah, sheep, or, sheep. Uh, trim hooves or whatever the hell we're doing. I don't know. 
and uh, we'll uh, talk to everybody later at the rest of this episode. Because yes, I am just editing this back in. Oh, now I got to go. There's the one. Bye. Okay. Bye. Podcasts are free to listen to, but they aren't free to create. Katie and I would appreciate your support as we work to build the Barnyard Language community. Patreon is an easy way for you to make a contribution that goes directly to making this show. There are three levels of patrons. If you join at the farmhand level of Patreon, you get early access to episodes and the chance to give us input on upcoming shows. At the percolator level, you can listen to our mistakes, and there's a lot of them. See video content like the Rabbit Agility class and access quarterly instructional videos. At the good shit level, we will give you naming rights on livestock, barn cats, and future children, invite you to live chats with us, and regular updates from our farms. All right, so our guest today is Nicole Cruz of the Facebook group Joyful Eating for Your Family. Nicole is a registered dietitian specializing in intuitive eating and division of responsibility, and we're very glad she's joining us today. So, Nicole, what are you growing? And this can be your family, your career, a garden, whatever. Uh, even as a dietitian, I'm not much of a gardener, I have to say. Um, but I, I leave that to the rest of my family. My brother and sister grow lots of things. And me, I am pretty much just growing my family and my business both. Um, I have three kids myself who are now nine, six, and four. And, um, yes, so we are actively growing there both physically and (laughs) in lots of different activities and lives and everything. So a a lot of, um, family growth right now. Yeah. It's, it's hard to keep track of how old they are. And even when Arlene and I first recorded the intro for the very first show, we actually had to like count how many children we had between the two of us (laughs) because we were kind of (laughs) lost track there. So Nicole, how did you decide to focus your work on taking the drama out of family meals? Yeah, um, well, to, I guess, make a a long, big story relatively short and concise, um, I have always specialized in eating disorder recovery. That's been my area of focus through my own, you know, struggle with disordered eating. And then I was um, just moved into dietetics to help others in that way. And what happened was when I was, you know, doing that work and then I became a parent myself and I found that I was in these circles with other parents, like, like myself, and I was hearing so many of the, um, just the same issues that I was talking to my teenage and adult clients who had eating disorders, I was hearing how it was starting so young when I was at the preschool class and hearing parents talk about food so negatively and, and limit their child's portions or say, we can't have that. Or, you know, just, just all of these things that I was noticing we were planting roots for disordered eating and thinking about food really young. And so I started focusing more on the division of responsibility, seeing that as being like the prevention to disordered eating and to raising our kids to have a healthy relationship with food. And the beauty of that is that it melds so well with taking all of the drama and um, and just fights about food and all of that. It, it does both. And that's what I love about this work is that it makes food less stressful and more enjoyable for everyone. And we're raising our children to have a healthy relationship with food in the process. So it's that, that two part, but that's really how I got into um, the work itself. So can you tell us what intuitive eating and, and division of responsibility actually look like day to day with young children or as they're growing older, what that, what that looks like at the dinner table? Yeah. So the division of responsibility is a, an approach to feeding that was, um, made by Ellen Satter, who's a licensed clinical social worker and registered dietitian. And I see the division of responsibility as leading into, um, raising our children to be intuitive eaters as adults. And really we're all born with the ability to eat intuitively, to be able to listen to our bodies, to know what hunger and fullness feels like to eat a variety and balance of food when food is presented to us. So this doesn't work if children are only given one type of food all the time, you know, if it's like, Oh, well, all they ever have are chips and cookies presented to them, then 
they, they don't have the ability to eat intuitively because that's all that's being presented to them. So where the division of responsibility comes in is it takes the role of the parent is to provide that variety of food. And then from there to allow your child to listen to their body, to eat when they're hungry, to stop when they're full, um, to choose which foods they're going to eat from that variety that you've provided. So the really basics of it are the parents decide the what, when, and where of food. So what are we having for breakfast? What are we having tonight for dinner? It doesn't matter what the food is. The parent is in charge of that. So they're going to choose. The when is that right now it's 7 a.m. and it's breakfast or it's 3 p.m. It's afternoon snack. So they're deciding when um, food is available and where. So we're eating at the kitchen table. We're having a living room picnic. It doesn't matter. Again, the parents deciding what those three things are, the what, the when, and the where, and then the child gets to show up and listen to their body within those parameters. If you're a family that hasn't been doing this already, and maybe your kids are getting a little bit older, and maybe you've gotten into some eating habits, how can we make those changes to, to kind of transition into this type of eating if it's not something that's already been happening? Yeah. And I first want to say that if it's not something that's been happening already, that's okay, right? Like we're all just doing what we know how to do with the tools that we have at the moment. And so if this is a new approach to you, a new idea, um, don't worry, (laughs) you know, you've messed up your kids or you've done something wrong or anything like that. But if this is something that resonates with you, you know, I really do want to raise my child to have a healthy relationship with food, or I'm tired of fighting about food. And I want to move in that direction. Um, I think, you know, there's a couple of different places to start, but the one thing that I think is consistent about the division of responsibility that I really want to drive home is that we don't make our child eat anything and we don't cut them off and not allow them to eat something. So like if there's anything that you're going to start with, it's really not dictating portions. Like you have to finish your plate or you have to eat two more bites or um, you're not allowed to have more of that. So if you're going to start anyway, anywhere, I would say that's like the big philosophy piece that I would really start with. And then there's all these other little tweaks that we can do to make it be better. I would say like there are things like serving meals, um, family style can really help with your child having more autonomy at the table that can help with less fights or feeling pressure around food. Like there's little things that we can do that can be really helpful to support this approach. But if there's any place to really start with, I would say that it's not dictating exactly what your child has to eat or has to go in their mouth so that you start taking a more hands-off approach and allowing them to navigate their food a bit more. Um, and then, you know, again, there's things like setting up a structure, having more consistent meal and snack times that you can lead into as well. But there's one thing that would be what I would say to start with. Nicole, um, for a lot of our members, there tends to be more generations of family involved and also, you know, caretakers and school teachers and all these other folks. What can we be doing to help other family members interact with our kids in a way that respects everyone's needs and boundaries around eating. I know I'm old enough that my grandparents came of age during the Great Depression. And so there was a lot about food there, obviously. And a lot of us grew up with, you know, clean plate club and have to eat everything on your plate. And also, you know, for a lot of us who maybe live closer to grandparents, things like that, what might be a fine treat once in a while can very easily turn into a, an everyday filled you up with ice cream and then sent you home. And now your mom's wondering why you won't eat supper. You know, there, there tend to be maybe more folks involved in feeding our kids than there might be for other people. Yeah. And, you know, there's definitely not a one size, you know, fits all approach and it's going to be if you're switching your approach to feeding, it's probably going to be a little bit messy as you try to learn to, to navigate that within a larger family, you know? So I would say first, don't expect any sort of like, you know, we're just going to do this and it's going to look perfect. And we're going to follow all the rules the right way. It's really learning. How am I going to start applying these things in my family and then bring in, you know, other people. So one thing to, to start with, I would say is for yourself, 
to get clear on what you really want, because it's really hard to bring other people in. If you're like, we're just going to start this thing, but we don't really know what it is or whatever. So really get clear with yourself on what you want to see happen. And that's, you know, don't worry about them to start with. You just kind of start doing this, learning more about it, understanding a little bit more, start applying it. And then you can start to bring other people in. I actually not too long ago did, um, like an interview and Instagram live with Una Hansen. And you can find it on my Instagram if you want to go look because she so brilliantly talks about how to, to, you know, deal with other family members as well. And one of the things that she talks a lot about is really using the phrase. Um, so can you help me out with that? Right. So if we can present this in a way that's like, we want the grandparents to be helpful, right? They want to be helpful. So how can we bring them in instead of it being like us against them, or this is how we have to do it, but to present, you know, and, and again, this isn't one size fits all because for some people you could say, Hey, do you want to go read this book? I found it to be really helpful. And they might be on board for another person. It might be like, here's a couple things that we're just asking you to help us with, you know? So there's different ways you might approach your family. Um, but whatever it is that if you can kind of share, this is the little thing that we're trying to work on right now, right? Maybe it's, we've really noticed that Johnny is showing up to dinner all the time and he's not willing to eat. So we want to try this approach that's really going to help get him to eat dinner a little bit better. So, you know, if we want to do snacks, we're going to ask that they end at 4 PM or 3 PM, whatever. I'm just making up numbers, mm -hmm. right? That's not important, but at 3 PM or something. So can you really help us out with that? Right. So how can we just kind of ask for things and then can you help us? And, and I think that's a really nice way to approach and try to get everyone on board instead of like, you just have to do it this way. This is what we need, but how can we kind of bring them in and, and see that they're going to be helpful um, for us. And, and I think we can also present it. It's like, I'm learning this new thing and I think it's really great. And I can really see how it's going to help my child actually eat we call it better, whatever's going to resonate with your family, right? It's going to help them actually eat better. It's going to help them eat more variety. It's going to help them be able to listen to their body so they don't overeat. Whatever the struggle is that you're dealing with that we can start telling them, you know, this is the thing that we're working on. And so can you help us out with that? So my kids are younger, they're three and they're four. And so they're starting to get some messaging at school and at, you know, at different places about bad foods and I'm less concerned with addressing that with the school because that's kind of their lane, but how to address that when my kids come home and say, well, X, Y, and Z isn't healthy. Obviously we all want our kids to grow up strong and healthy and, and with good relationships with food, but also I really hate this idea of some foods being clean or good. How to tell kids that our family is different than their what they learn at school without telling them their teachers are wrong. I don't really want to set them up for a whole bunch of. I and I think too, being an yeah, agriculture. I'm not expressing it as well. <laughs> Sorry. No, I was just going to say, when you talk about clean food, being in agriculture, sometimes that labeling ends up pitting foods that maybe we produce or that, you know, are part of our lifestyle. Calling something clean is sometimes more about a label and a way of advertising a food and isn't really about its inherent nutritional value. Or there get to be buzzwords around, you know, like say your grass-fed beef is going to be better than corn-fed beef or whatever is trendy right now, that all of a sudden those divisions start to come up and we start to look at food differently based on marketing and not actually on its inherent value as a food and as something, you know, to sustain us or, or to feed our families. And it, yeah, it can create division both within farmers and, you know, even, you know, out in the world to where we're, we're kind of justifying what, what we produce or what we eat based on someone else's standards and they change over time too. Yeah. That's such an important point too, right. About changing over time. And this is like the, the bigger diet culture piece of it, but it's like, right. When you think about what was trendy in the eighties for dieting and then the nineties <laughs> and then the two, right. It's like every yeah. day it's like carbs are now the enemy, but at one point it was fat. And at another point, you know, if we just go through all the things, my, um, I don't remember this, but I have a family friend who's just a bit older than me. And she remembers when uh, protein was actually like the, the enemy and that they would just be served huge plates of pasta. And that's like 
all they were supposed to eat for dinner because protein, you know, wasn't good. And it's just so funny to see how all these trends go through, you know, and that's, that's the culture we live in, right? It's, and it has so much to do with marketing and trying to get us to buy products and what's the new craze now and, and all of that. And I think the other piece about all of this judgment too, is that it doesn't actually help kids eat a certain way. It just makes them feel guilty for it. So like if we're telling them that food is bad or they shouldn't have it then, or that this one's healthy and this one's unhealthy, if they really want the unhealthy food, they're still go. And I'm saying unhealthy in quotes, but the way that we've labeled it, I don't actually believe in healthy and unhealthy foods are labeling it that way. Cause I don't think it's helpful at all, but, um, that if they still want the quote unquote unhealthy food, they're still going to eat it. They're just going to feel really bad about it. And so how does that guilt and shame help anybody? It doesn't, it creates more disordered patterns around food that often lead to eating that food in excess because they feel bad hiding or sneaking food, all sorts of things. So I don't think those labels are healthy either. And our kids are going to get that messaging because of the culture that we live in. So I think one way to approach it is when you hear them saying that, I always like to get curious with them, right? So we can ask questions like, what does that mean to you that it's not healthy, right? Like, let's just talk about that. What did you hear? Because sometimes we start putting these labels on because our kid says it and it's coming from our framework, but maybe they have a whole different idea about what that means. So how can we talk about that, right? I had a conversation about this with my child who came home and, and even just the other day, again, he's like, these blueberries are healthy for me. And I'm like, yeah, they're great. They give your body energy. They give you vitamins. That's wonderful. But like, where did you hear that they're healthy? And what does that mean to you? Right. And so he's like, oh, that, that you're eating good food or something like that. And it, and it gives you nutrition. I'm like, yeah, absolutely. Right. But then we can take that a whole nother um, level and talk about like, what do our bodies really need to be healthy then? Like, what's this idea? Oh, and then I like to go, well, they need a variety of foods, right? We have to have a variety of nutrients. And so when I've had this conversation with my child, I'll go through, okay, so what does that mean? Like, tell me about all the foods you like or different foods you eat. And he'll list off, right? Like, oh, well, we had macaroni and cheese and I had the blueberries and I had cucumbers and I had a sandwich, whatever, right? So, oh, look at, look at all those different foods you have. It really sounds like you are getting a variety of foods. I don't think you need to worry about healthy or unhealthy or good or bad because look at, you're already getting a variety, right? So I think that's one way to kind of approach it. And I love the word variety because I think that really takes any judgment away. And it goes back to your body isn't going to be healthy if all you eat are vegetables. <laughs> like your body is not going to have the substantial nutrients that it needs from protein and from carbohydrates and from fat. Like you're not going to be healthy and you're not going to be healthy if all you do is eat chips. Like neither way it's going to be healthy, but can you incorporate chips into your diet? If you enjoy them, can you incorporate vegetables into your diet along with other foods? And now we have this variety that is going to fuel our body in a way that it needs. So I think when we can really bring it back and talk to them about variety, when we can ask questions about what does that mean to you? Um, I think those can be really helpful places to start. And then we can also just talk about how maybe our family just has different ideas than what your teacher has. That's okay. What do, but what do you think about this? Right. When we look at it this way, yeah, that's what some people believe, but I just don't think that's really helpful. I like to look at it with variety, right? So I think that we can do it without putting their teacher down or anything and just say, they might have a different view about it, but this is what I see. What do you think about that? And we can have these open conversations, which really also help them start to process this information because they're going to continue to come into contact with dieting language, healthy, unhealthy, good food, bad food mentality. So how can we help them start to process it instead of just saying, nope, that's wrong, right? That's not how we think about food. We can start to help them think about it differently themselves. Mm -hmm. I think to, um, for myself, remembering that feeding ourselves and our kids is a, is a long game. It's not one Oreo is going to kill your kid and like, you know, unless obviously there's like some serious health issue, no one meal is going to make all the difference. And I know when the girl child who's now four was a smaller tater tot, you know, we were at the pediatrician and thankfully we have a younger doctor. She's younger than I am. And she's very down with just listening to your body and listening, doing what makes the most sense for you in your life. 
And I was very concerned about how many servings a child was supposed to have of dairy or vegetables or whatever, you know, because I couldn't find any, you know, pyramids for what a, a, a little one should eat. And she said, well, does she eat vegetables? And I said, well, like every day, every meal, like not every meal, probably every day, you know, and I was getting more and more around about it. And she said, no, like at all, has she ever eaten anything green? And I said, well, yes. And she goes, well, then she's fine. You know, and just for myself, realizing how much of what I really want to teach my kids about food is enjoying food. It is very important to me that they learn how to eat and how to feed themselves and not what to eat, because I want it to be a calm and joyful experience for them and not to be super wound about, well, we can't eat this and we can't eat that. And but clean your plate, but why are you gaining weight? But my family was famous for this one. inquiring about your your weight gain or your body shape or whatever, and then asking why you weren't eating at, you know, at family meals, which is not super relaxing. There's gotten to be so much pressure that, you know, if they don't have the exact right number of vegetables at every meal or whatever, that like they'll get scurvy and their head will fall off from one day of eating nothing but beans, which our three-year-old is obsessed with beans for whatever reason. And we'll just like go to the pantry, get a can of beans and ask for that for his lunch. And I'm like, well, they got protein. They got lots of fiber. They got lots of other vitamins. You want a can of black beans for lunch? I'm going to let you do it. You know, I wouldn't be my first choice, I guess, but you know, it's not hurting anything. I always have um, well, one question like this where I just get to the end of it. And I'm like, there wasn't actually a question. In there was I just rambling? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I don't know if you were going to ask a question, but I just wanted to touch on what you said about the how versus the what, because I think that is such an important and critical piece of all of this. And one of the you know quotes that Ellen Satter has that I love is she says, uh, when the joy goes out of eating, nutrition suffers. And I think that's so important because we are a culture who wants to boil everything down to having the perfect nutrition, right? It's like, well, which food is good? Which one's bad? Which one has the most vitamins or the most fiber, the most, you know, the superfood list, like all of these things we want to get in that so that we can put foods in this black and white box and only eat to like the utmost health. But where is the joy in that, right? Where is the connection in that to ourselves, to our families? Like that's part of what food is as well is that it's a way for us to connect and, and to care for our children. There's, there's a lot more to it than just finding the best food to eat. And so I think that how versus what is really important. And I always like to say, I had this, um, this, preschool teacher of ours. I went to a co-op style. I still do go to a co-op style preschool with my kids. And so, you know, we'd have this parent discussion time at the end of every class and we'd talk and um, she always would say, we're parenting for the future. Like, is that philosophy around what you're trying to do to parent right now really going to work when they're still a teenager? You know, of course the logistics of it might change, but is the the mindset around it still going to work? And so I really like to say we're feeding for the future because we're really trying to lay that foundation where our kids have that healthy relationship with food. And that comes from the how, like uh, my example is always, do you really care that your child ate two bites of broccoli tonight at the table because you forced them to, if they're going to hate broccoli for the next 50 years of their life, like how is that creating health? If what we're doing is forcing our kids to eat certain things or not allowing them to, so that then their eating is actually out of balance because they felt this pressure or forced to eat certain foods. So they want to not eat those even more or because they weren't allowed to eat certain foods. And so now they're hyper-focused on them, preoccupied with them. They're drawn to them. They eat more of those. Like that's putting our eating out of balance. And we're not going to be there when they're 20 to sit at the table and say, take two bites of your broccoli. They're going to be like, thank God I never have to eat broccoli again because I was always forced to eat two bites of it, <laughs> right? So we really have to think about that long game in terms of how are we feeding to lay that foundation because kids are much more likely 
too, eat that balance of nutrients when they're allowed to do it in their own time. And, and to your point again about, it sounds like you have an amazing pediatrician who was like able to bring you down from that and say like, it's okay. Have they ever eaten something green? Have they ever touched a vegetable? Okay. They're probably going to go through phases where they eat more or where they eat less, but this is not about eating a perfect balanced meal at every meal or eating all the right nutrients every day. It's really about looking at you know, over the course of a week, did they eat a variety of food? You know, over the course of a couple of weeks, did they eat a variety of different foods? That's it. Our bodies don't have this 24 hour time limit where, you know, they need to get all the nutrients in, in 24 hours. And then we start afresh and we need to get all those nutrients. in again, it's really about, you know, just being able to eat those foods in general. And I see it with my kids all the time. We had just been on this little weekend away last weekend and, um, we just, we ate out more. We were also staying with family at their house. And so food was just a little bit different. And I probably, we weren't presenting like vegetables in the same way or anything. And it wasn't always vegetables that my kids liked because we were at someone else's home and they were doing things. And I don't think my daughter ate a single vegetable the whole time we were there. And that was fine. I, I don't even know for sure. Cause I'm not keeping track of that, but I don't, I think she probably didn't. And we got home and the next night for dinner, I put out a bowl of broccoli that was just like steamed broccoli from literally like a microwave bag. I was like, Oh my God, what do we have to throw together? We've been away. I have nothing here. Right. Steam bag of broccoli, um, put it out. And she's just like, mommy, I'm a broccoli monster. And she's eating literally just handfuls of this broccoli that, Oh, that's so interesting to see how she just naturally gravitated towards it and didn't eat much of her other dinner, just wanted broccoli that night, you know, and we often step in and kind of interfere with that process because we'd be at, you know, the family's house. And I'd be saying, Oh, nope, you need to try the vegetables, at least have a couple bites instead of just watching it kind of naturally balance out. We tend to end up putting all this extra energy into it and then disrupting what they might do naturally because we're putting pressure and force around it. Well, I, I feel like, at least for our family, the division of responsibility has helped so much with just having faith in my kids' ability to know what they need, um, whether it's, you know, the, the younger kid will put himself down for a nap when he needs one. Not consistently, but there's, you know, been a fair number of times that he will just take himself off and go take a nap. And that having faith in their ability to know what they need to eat for themselves and knowing that kids may occasionally eat enough to make themselves sick or to make themselves really uncomfortable but most neurotypical physically healthy kids won't do it more than once or twice um you know how much that trust in them builds towards having trust in them knowing what they need everywhere else and that i see a a level of perfectionism pushed on feeding kids that we would never expect from adults. Um, that an adult, an adult can just have a bowl of cereal for supper and that most people aren't going to freak out too badly about that. But if a kid just wants a bagel for supper or something, you know, that's the safe food in our house is uh, cinnamon raisin bagels. And they haven't been appearing nearly as often as they were for a while there. But, you know, to just leave them alone and... They do really well if you just let them do what they're designed to do. And it's been really cool just to watch that flow into other areas of their lives and just let them do it. You talked a lot about variety of food, and I'm just wondering if I'm the person who's doing most of the cooking in my house. And I know sometimes I get into, into a rut or get frustrated when I create meals that have some diversity and then they get rejected or, you know, like nobody, you know, I'm eating leftovers for days because I mean, they tried it, but there was, you know, there, there wasn't much uptake <laughs> from the other people around the table. So how do we include more diverse foods in our diet and in our cooking? Um, and especially when that relates to kind of, you know, seasonality of produce or, you know, eating what we produce ourselves. I mean, I just picked up a cow from the butcher today and now I have two freezers full of beef. So that's, you know, going to be kind of the basis of a lot of our meals for a while. So what are some tips for kind of increasing variety and providing those opportunities for our kids to try that variety? Yeah, 
I, I think that's what you just said, though, is providing opportunities, right? That's like the key there is that we continue to provide opportunities and they're likely not going to um, eat it the first time around or the second time around. You know, it's typical that kids need to be exposed to something upwards of 10 times. And for more selective eaters, sometimes we'll say 60 or 70 times, you know, before they're likely to eat it. And so um, we have to just keep providing the opportunity. I think there are things that we can do within that though, that can be helpful. You know, like if it's a new food and you don't think your family's really going to love it, probably make a smaller batch of it and don't have that expectation, but make sure that you're filling in around that, right? Like, okay. So, you know, we talked about, you know, the safe foods was mentioned that there's always something on the table that, you know, is a safe food for your child. So whether that's in my house, sometimes it's like shredded cheese or something, you know, it's like, okay, I made a casserole that had cheese in it. And so I'm going to put out a little bowl of shredded cheese too. And if they don't want to try the casserole, they can have some shredded cheese. And maybe it's also the casserole had plain pasta in it. So, or had pasta in it. So I'll put out some plain pasta that I didn't throw in there and some shredded cheese that might be all that they end up eating. They don't try the casserole, right? So it's finding ways to um, make sure there's a safe food there, but still giving them the opportunity. And that's different than saying, I'm making this casserole. They're not going to eat it. So I'm going to cook them chicken nuggets and I just serve them chicken nuggets on their plate. And I'm not then giving them the opportunity. In fact, I'm confirming for them you won't like this. <laughs> so here's your separate meal, right? So we're just telling them you're not going to like this instead of saying, okay, here's an opportunity. This is what we're having. And here's your choices. There's shredded cheese, there's plain pasta, there's this casserole, whatever it is, you know, and then they can, can eat from it what they choose. And maybe at some point they'll get brave and try the casserole. Maybe they won't. I've had my kids take a scoop and put it on their plate and then end up not eating it. But it's like, that's a step though, to be maybe I will, you know, and to, to take that step towards considering it. So we always want to make sure there's a safe food out. We want to provide opportunities to, you know, reduce food waste. It might be that you're making that smaller portion that you're making things that you can refreeze and have for lunch or that you can have for another meal for yourself in a week or something. Cause it's frozen, um, that sort of thing. I think also maybe not trying too much variety at once, you know, if it's something that's um, a new fruit that you want to try or something, you're not going to buy five new fruits for the week and then have to get rid of all of that. Maybe you try one new thing for that week and then what they don't eat, you can freeze for smoothies, or maybe it's vegetables you can freeze to make a stock with later or something like that. So what ways can we kind of repurpose food and save it um, in that way, you know, to, to watch the food waste, but still continue to provide these opportunities for our children to eventually maybe want to try something. Um, and I'm not sure if I entirely answered your question, Arlene, or if there's a piece there, maybe I didn't touch on. Yeah, that, that covers a lot of it. I know that I've got a kid who has some sensory issues and there are times where, yeah, putting it on his plate, or even there are times where I'll ask him to just smell something. I'm like, I'm not asking you to, to eat it. I just want you to see be approach the food and, you know, put it under your nose. Like you don't have to taste it, but I just want you to, cause you, you know, there might, we might've had peaches in the house for years and he would never even go near one because it's like, that's the thing I don't like. Yeah. I'm not interested. Don't bring it anywhere near me. And yeah, once in a while I'll ask, you know, I've got one cut up. Can you just smell this for me? And that's all I'm asking. And he's more receptive to that now as an older child, he probably still isn't going to eat it, but maybe someday he'll smell it and realize, no, that's not as bad as I thought it was. Or it's something that I can at least be near and not be offended by. Well, that's huge. That's such a big win though, you know? And that's what I say about even my kid putting a little bit on their plate. Like those are wins if they're just not <laughs> shoving it away and being repulsed by it. If they're willing to get close enough to it, to maybe smell it. Some kids maybe will come to the point where they just want to lick it or touch it to their tongue a little bit. Like those things are all wins, you know, um, just taking that step closer to considering it. And it sounds like you're doing an awesome job having a selective eater, not you know, pressuring them or forcing them, but thinking of these other ways to just be around the food. And I think that's another piece of it, right? Can we make it more fun? Can we get them in the kitchen to help us? Just them being around it helps them get more comfortable with it, which over time might lead to them being willing to eat it or wanting to eat it even. If we've gotten into a history of, you know, for ourselves, 
feeling that pressure to clean our plates. Or I know sometimes I'll, I'll admit cleaning my kids' plates, <laughs> you know, that, that idea of cleaning up, not having food waste, all that kind of stuff. How do we start getting ourselves back into intuitive eating or, you know, listening to our bodies better? Yeah, it, it's, it's a process, right? So just even having awareness around like, oh, this is where I'm operating from all the time is this, that this feeling that I need to finish the plate or that we shouldn't have food waste. So I think just bringing awareness to that, like maybe where does that come from? Why do I feel the need to do that? Um, checking in with ourselves. I think if it is about food waste, finding ways to repurpose that food can be helpful. So we don't feel like it's so much waste, you know, that if we can freeze things that can be helpful. Um, I always like the saying, start with a little, you can always get more. And I encourage that for both adults and for children. So that if you know, if you put a lot on your plate, you're going to finish it, that maybe you just, it's not a way to limit your portion and say you can't have it, but it's a way to kind of put a pause in there and say, oh, do I feel like I want more? Then I can get a second helping. But maybe if I just start with a little, then I'll take my time and see how I'm feeling and move move into more if I want more. So I think just reminding yourself, let's start with a little and you can always get more and giving yourself true permission to get more if you want it. Um, and intuitive eating is a big you know, philosophy around eating as well. And so if it's something that you're interested in, you get the book, there's a book, you know, the fourth edition is now out on intuitive eating. Just start familiarizing yourself more with these concepts, start working through some of the process. There's a workbook as well. Um, start listening to podcasts on intuitive eating, just start immersing yourself in this idea around food that you don't have to control your intake. And you also don't have to eat past fullness that you can trust yourself to listen to your hunger, to stop when you're full. Um, I think if, if this is like a new thing, those are just places to start, you know, so that you start getting, absorbing the information a little bit more so that you can start applying it and, and knowing that it takes time. Like you probably have (laughs) 30, 40, 50 years of eating a certain way. And so it's going to take time to kind of unlearn some of those patterns and habits and understand why you're doing them as well. You know, it's not just like, oh, you're, you're out of control with food or you're gluttonous or, you know, all these things that we kind of say about, you know, eating too much or what it it has nothing to do with, you have no willpower or anything. It's that at some point in your life, you learned to finish the plate, right? Whether that was that somebody told you to do it or that maybe you dieted a lot and you felt really restrictive with your food. And then when you stop dieting, you just want to eat more out of a reaction. Like there's so many ways that we can get there. So you're just starting to even be aware of that. You know, where does this come from and what do I want my relationship with food to look like and and start immersing yourself in those, um, those different ways of thinking around it. As someone who spent a lot of years, um, overeating, binge eating, stress eating, whatever, just to deal with stress. And then through the fertility treatment process, the dealing with stress while they're jacking your hormones up really did a number on my eating habits and on my body in general. And I am now in the position of having to restrict what I eat more and having to lose weight, trying to take better care of myself by limiting what I eat when I've done so much work to accept myself the way I am and to eat what I want from a physical place instead of an emotional place. And now having to turn that around to eating what I need to eat for my physical health is really just messing with my head, to be Mm -hmm. honest. And I'm wondering if you have any advice or thoughts on that and also how to explain that you know because my kids are quite a bit younger explaining this concept to them it's a big topic right to to talk about and more than we can really cover at this moment um a couple thoughts though one is do you have to talk to your kids about it like is there any reason that they need to know about the amount that you're eating or the, your food choices, or can it look pretty like normal to them, you know, that you're choosing certain things. And I don't know all the ins and outs about the shifts that you need to make. But another thing to tell kids is like, 
you know, it's not that any food, like if there's certain foods that you do have to eliminate or something, it's not that any food is good or bad. It's just maybe this food doesn't make me feel well. So I am listening to my body because I know that when I eat that, I don't feel well. Or sometimes my kids want me to eat something, right? Mommy, try this, try this. And I'm like, okay, maybe I try by, but I'm like, actually my belly is full. I don't feel like eating it right now. You know what? I can just tell them that's me saying I'm listening to my body. I don't want to eat that right now. You know, like that doesn't sound good to me. That's not what I want. So how are we still demonstrating these same principles of this is what my body needs and what's going to feel good for me right now? You know, whether that's a certain food or something, but in terms of amount, I don't know that you ever really need to even talk to them about that. It's coming down to honoring your body, you know, and, and it reminds me of a conversation I had with a client recently who was like, you know, struggles with binge eating and overeating and was saying, oh, I just, what she, what was the verbiage? I'm trying to remember exactly what she said, but basically she was going out to a meal and she was like, I just, oh, I just want to enjoy it though. So she didn't want to have to kind of tune in and think about how much she was eating. And she just wanted to order, you know, what she wanted and just eat it so she could enjoy it. And what ended up happening was she overate because she put herself in this, like it's either, or right. I just want to enjoy it. I'm not going to worry about it. Mm -hmm. Overate and then felt like crap, right? She felt horrible afterwards. And so like, so was that actually you enjoying that meal though? Because you really mm. didn't feel well. So we have to also look at like these core principles. I love what you said about, is that still honoring yourself? Where are we coming into this place where it's coming from a place of honoring our bodies, feeling like it's self-care and that we truly are, you know, taking care of ourselves versus just saying, I don't care. I don't want to think about it or anything like that. So I think that's still, those principles are still the same, but you're right that a lot of people come into this work and it's more about permission, but the other end of self-care is also, okay, how, how am I treating my body right now? And how does this feel? Sorry about that. The UPS driver just showed up. <laughs> One of the other things that has really become apparent to me, we had to do back to school checkups for the kids a few weeks ago and our normal doctor was on vacation and we saw a sub who was very concerned about the boy child because his weight on the chart is slightly higher than his height on the curve and his curve has been steady since birth and how much people put into that where our own pediatrician said you know as long as they're staying on their curve or we have a good reason for why they're not not worried about it, but how upset I found myself that this float doctor who's never seen my kid before and hopefully will never see them again was very upset that he's getting, you know, full fat milk because he's like 80th percentile for height, and 90th percentile for weight or something. Dealing with healthcare providers and teaching folks about what the curves really mean and about feeling okay about pushing back on healthcare providers that are you know, we saw a doctor when the boy child was a baby who was very upset about how much formula he was getting. He's maintaining his curve. Our regular doctor is happy with it. I know he's eating what is generally considered a bizarre amount. I, I get that. But this is who he is. And, you know, how hard it can be to push back against the, the common wisdom about what kids should be doing versus what their bodies need. Um, so I'm wondering if you have any advice for dealing with that. So hard. I completely agree. And I've had similar conversations with my pediatrician that were challenging. Um, the first thing I like to recommend, because I think this is what really helps me is that you verse yourself a bit more in um, the idea of health at every size and um, the division of responsibility and fat phobia, the, the, you know, fear of fatness that is just so rampant in our culture that you get more versed in this. And I say that because I knew that when it happened at my doctor's appointment, because of the work I do, I was so confident in it that it was a much easier conversation for me to have versus me backpedaling. Am I doing the right thing? I don't know. What is this? I'm right. And like, and so I said, knowing coming from that place, it makes it a lot easier. So 
educate yourself, feel more comfortable that you do have an approach to feeding that feels good to you, that, that you're trusting. Um, that's, that's the first piece. So, you know, understand the division of responsibility better and, and just educate yourself more around that so that you feel more confident walking into those conversations. Other things to do are to call ahead of time. Like if you imagine that this might be a conversation, call ahead of time, email, however you get in touch with your doctor's office, speak directly to your doctor or ask them to put a note in the chart that you do not want to discuss weight in front of your child, weight or body size. And if they have any concerns, they can call you after the appointment, depending on the age of your child, they could ask to speak with you privately. You know, if your child can go out of the room or something like that, but that you don't want to discuss it. And then if you have any concerns, please give me a call after send me any, however you'd like them to approach Mm -hmm. you after. So I, I would like, you know, to preemptively, um, have that set up for yourself. So that's the first piece. If it happens in the office, I think you can do the same thing. You can say, Hey, I appreciate your concern about, you know, Joey. And I would just really like, if we could have this conversation, um, privately, you're welcome to call me, you know, Mm -hmm. whatever it might be, that sort of thing. So that we're not discussing our child's body size and creating any sort of guilt or shame or making them feel like their body is wrong for any reason. So those are kind of just how to, you know, handle it there. And then know that if you are, you know, following the division of responsibility and you're trusting your child to eat, that you are doing everything that's within your job as the parent for the what, when, and where of food. And you are allowing your child to grow and develop into the body that's right for them. And that's going to be different sizes for different kids. They're percentiles for a reason. Somebody will always have to be. Mm in the 99th percentile. And somebody will always have to be in the one percentile. That's the definition of a percentile. So (laughs) why do we keep trying to make all the kids be at the 50th percentile when that's impossible in and of itself? You know, it's so ridiculous to think that we wouldn't have body diversity, but what happens is we end up creating more issues around food because we're trying to force our child to be within a certain body. And I know, you know, this, um, preaching to the choir right now, right. But that really, I think it's really important to kind of understand that again, so that you feel like, okay, it's okay. If my child is in a larger body or maybe in a smaller body, and that's just their body size. As long as I'm doing my job and feeding, I'm trusting them. And then let's ask the pediatrician to not talk about this, or maybe I need to find a new doctor, you know, that does support us. So hopefully that helps navigate, you know, at least some of those conversations a bit. You know, I was taught that some people are taller and some people are heavier and some people are shorter. Obviously, never really sunk in that people who are taller tend to be heavier simply because there is more of them. And as a kid who was, you know, I was taller than my adult ballet teacher when I was in third grade. I'm 5'10 and have been since I was 14. And I remember in, you know, fifth or sixth grade being at summer camp and all these girls were talking about which one of them was going to be over a hundred pounds first, you know, and, and I'm sitting there in the corner going, well, I'm already over a hundred pounds and I'm so fat and this is horrible. And, you know, without realizing that I was also five inches taller than the rest of them and how much I wish that we taught kids that shorter people generally may tend to weigh less because there is simply less of them. And that this is just the way physics and math work and really has nothing to do with being fat or skinny or whatever, but just that that's how bodies work. It's 100% true. And I'm actually just annoyed for you with your pediatrician that your child's in like the 80th and 90th. Oh, and in all fairness, and it's this an issue because our normal okay. pediatrician but- is like, <laughs> Right. But even to look, how can a doctor look at 80th and 90th and think that's an issue, right? Doesn't that make sense that you're high in, right? Like, and of course people, it's okay if you're not 80th, 90th in that way and you're different percentiles, but I'm just like, that actually is the correct trajectory, right? Quote unquote, correct trajectory. It doesn't even make sense. (laughs) Well, and that's just it. And, you know, I know our normal pediatrician had explained that if they had been, you know, 80th for height, 90th for weight. And all of a sudden they were 80th for height and 10th for weight. That really shows an issue, you know, something like that. But if they're on the same curve they've been on, they're probably fine. Yeah. Our our normal doctor is fantastic, which I think makes it more shocking when we run into somebody who isn't because I'm just like, you know, this is not something we deal with. It's kind of a surprise. (laughs) 
So Nicole, as we said, your Facebook group is called Joyful Eating for Your Family. And do you have any tips or tricks for bringing the joy back into mealtime or into eating that we haven't already covered today? Yeah. I mean, I think there's a lot of them, but I, I think one thing like we, we did talk about, I think one of the biggest things is to, to not comment on what your child's eating. So really to do your job and then just take a hands-off approach and not make the focus be, you know, food, 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 and how much they're eating. Um, so I think that's the biggest thing to decrease the stress and make the meal times, you know, more enjoyable. Two other things that come to mind. One is to make the food more fun. You know, maybe it's doing taste tests or getting your kids cooking or playing restaurant and like actually making the food be more fun. The other is to completely take the focus away from food and to show up and play games at the table and talk about other things and not even think about or worry about, you know, what your child's eating. So, um, really though, it, it is just kind of taking that, you know, hands off approach. It's not entirely hands off. It's you've done your job, but once the t- food's on the table, I like to say, set it and forget it. Right. Once the food's on the table, then it's hands off allowing your child to just navigate the food. And that really brings a lot more, um, joy back into the table and re- reduces, I say we can never be entire. I like to say stress-free, but I understand that with kids in eating and like all these things, it's never entirely stress-free, but that we can at least reduce the stress to what I consider more of like a baseline and normal level instead of adding all of this extra drama to it, you know? (laughs) Nicole, my, my personal favorite question that we ask, well, so far, all of our guests is what county fair contest could you dominate whether you know a real contest or something made up where you're you know where is your secret talent it's so funny I know right oh gosh yeah county fair hmm um what would be my secret talent oh I know what I'm really good at we went to um the um we have a place I don't know what you have we have a place called Dave and Buster's And it's like, you know, games and stuff. And I'm really good actually at like throwing the balls and hitting down those like stupid clown faces that are all up that you're just (laughs) trying to like knock them all down really fast. (laughs) We got a lot of tickets at the game. So that would be one that I'm pretty good at actually. I I guess that does fit. Like I'm played softball all my life and everything. So I guess that's probably why, but, um, but yeah, that's a fun game that I'm actually pretty good at. That's a new one. I don't think we've heard that one before. (laughs) Nicole, you're welcome to join us, but it is now time for cussing and discussing, which is my personal favorite segment of the show. So Arlene, do you have anything to uh, cuss and discuss? So this is a, a historical story, but our discussion today about food, it reminded me of this one. So there was one night we'd, um, I had spent more time on supper, which usually means I feel like it's inversely proportional. The more, the more time you spend cooking, the less likely they are to like it. So I, <laughs> you know, uh, we had lamb chops that had been, you know, grilled. I'd done roasted cauliflower. Like it was a really good meal. Everything looked nice. And I put it on the table and before anyone had even had a bite, one of my, one of my kids looked at the food and said, mommy, do you have the ingredients for hot dogs? <laughs> So I admitted that I did, but that this was what was for supper (laughs) and maybe hot dogs would be another night, but it was just perfectly timed. Do you have the ingredients for that? I like too, that they thought you'd have ingredients for it and not just actually (laughs) hot dogs. Yeah, exactly. Do you have any cussing or discussing for this week, Katie? Oh, I do. Um, Upside, I found out. So both of our kids are in gymnastics in tumbling. And their coach's name is Coach Joey. And the boy child only says that we're going to Nastics. Both kids do. And both my husband and father-in-law are named Jim. And I found out this week that the girl child, who is four, thinks their coach's name is Jim Nastics. <laughs> um, she's pretty sure that Nastics is his last name. And That's his Jim. Yeah. Yeah. They're going to Nastics is, you know, going to their house, you know, just like any other family. And it is gymnastics. Um, <laughs> That's on the, perfect. The cussing end of things, this whole uh, nine days or whatever we're at with having hay down found me getting mansplained to yesterday about how hay is made and 
generally how the farm is run. And I, I finally just came back in the house. It was not my husband doing it, but it seemed safer to just walk away than it was to, to have this conversation, you know, in case I was not yet aware of where hay comes from or how cows are made or anything else. It's just safer to walk away from it. Um, Nicole, do you have anything to, to cuss and discuss? I love this. I wasn't quite sure what this uh, cussing and discussing was, but one thing that comes to mind for me, keeping actually in, in line with food and everything was um, <laughs> being at the grocery store and trying to pick out like which pasta sauce that I wanted to buy off the shelf. It's one of like my standard go-to just easy meals is to like keep a thing of pasta, some ground meat and some, you know, or a thing of pasta sauce, some ground meat and, and some pasta. And it's just like an easy meal. So I'm like picking which jarred sauce I want to have. And the man comes walking up next to me and he's like, you need to get this one because it has the lowest amount of sugar. That one you don't want. And I was like, oh my God, seriously, friend, I was not here. I didn't ask your you advice. your opinion on the pasta sauce. I don't care how much sugar it has in it. That was not my goal to, to look at how much sugar it is. I'm like, does this one have basil and garlic? Like I'm like trying to pick out the flavors and anyways. So yeah, that's mine. <laughs> well, just of all the places to try and limit sugar. I mean, right. I know that pasta sauce can be kind of high in added sugar, but like a couple really, grams or something, right? Like really, really? <laughs> we're going for flavor on this one. Not to... I know. I'm like, I, I just need an easy meal. Like it's, you know, it's all. Yeah. Well, I and just it, like that. You weren't looking his... around, looking down the aisle saying, Hey, you, do you want to give me advice on what pasta sauce no. to buy? You look knowledgeable. <laughs> to that, that was the advice he thought you would need is how much sugar was in it. Not Right. This one is better. Yeah, I this tried this right. last week and it was delicious. Yeah. You know. Exactly. Well, thank you, Nicole, so much for joining us today. And we'll include the sh in the show notes some info about your Facebook group and your your platforms and the, some of the resources that you shared for with us. And until next time, everybody, may your cups not leak. Personal experience, there was a sippy cup of milk in the back of my car last week. Ugh. Um, and may your bowls be fertile.